hurt folks whisper there's no place here for her kind still on she came through the shame that flushed her face until the last she knelt before his feet and though she spoke no words everything she said was
absolutely beautiful. Happy Sabbath, everybody. You know, God is good. It doesn't matter what happens in the world, God is still good. God is still good. Uh, come by here to stop to talk with you guys, with us. Any overcomers in the house today? Any soul survivors in the house today? Just happy that God has blessed us today to be alive and in the land of the living. You know, the, the word says that Jesus has a special relationship with the church. I like the song that Shondell just sang because my relationship with God is personal. Because uh, you don't understand what we've been through, what what he's done for me, what he's forgiven me of. And uh, that's why we give him praise today, man. That's why we give him praise today. If, if you see me acting stupid <laughs> and crazy, you know, in my praise, just, ju just say he's been forgiven much, amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, I've been forgiven much. I've been forgiven much, amen, amen. Today I want to entitle the caption for our sermon today, Letters to Overcomers, Wake Up. There's a high cost associated with sleeping on the job. You know, there's a debate going on now, could give you the figures that uh, in the medical community, about the long hours that doctors have to work. You know, some doctors in the U.S. are now working 30-hour shifts. When research tells us that after two nights of sleeplessness, you are, they are prone to make at least 5.3 times as much mistakes as someone who has had a good night's rest. In fact, we're finding out that most of our doctors don't get four nights, four hours sleep whenever they do sleep. And it's leading to a lot of uh, medical malpractice issues. I know there are other complications involved. Uh, doctors will be the first to tell you that you need those long hours in order to ensure proper patient care to ensure that doctors are trained properly, but there is a cost to sleeplessness, to falling asleep on the job. I'm going somewhere. We found out that uh, that accident that happened in Buffalo with uh, that, that plane that crashed was attributed, the FAA says, to human error. The pilots fell asleep. And don't you know that you can be sleeping and still be doing your job? There is a term called microsleep. It says after you've deprived the body of sleep for a certain time, the body shuts down even if you are still involved 
in a particular activity. So you may be talking to someone and they're sleeping and they're talking to you. Their eyes are opening. Their eyes are open. They're, they're, they're able to hear what you're saying and respond, but they are asleep, micro-sleep. There's a high cost for sleeping on the job. We all know that we sleep when we're driving. You knew I was going there, did you? And praise the Lord for those indentations in the lanes. Because you know when, you never know when you fall asleep. You always think that you have it enough in you to get at least home. Until you hear and realize that sleep bug got you. You know, when disaster strikes, investigators often look at the cause for so many accidents and they find out that human error is at the root of these accidents. There's nothing wrong with the machines. There's nothing wrong with the protocols. There's nothing wrong with the procedure. But the human mind that should be coordinating all of these things has fallen asleep. And therefore, we end up with a disaster. Now, I know most of us, our pay scales don't involve us in these life and death situation jobs. But you know... It doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're involved in a situation that needs direction and the director falls asleep, that spells disaster. I can't forget the night when I lost control or we lost control. I was working a job that everybody on campus at Lossier University wants to work. Because you get to go to school in the day and work in the night, and the pay was good. The only thing was on Saturday nights, while my wife parted out in the living room, I was there in bed trying to get some sleep. And while I'm going to work, she's there laughing with her friends, enjoying herself. And I would just curse my luck going to the job, Elder Examinees, going to security, last year, as not as a patrolman, but as a dispatcher. I remember one night we were working, and you know, the, the, the most difficult period to work is between 2 and 5 in the morning. There's a thing called the circadian rhythm, you know. You can stay up until 2 because you're staying up late. But then after two, your body says, it's time to go. I remember this night I was there, dispatcher. Just the two of us on campus awake, securing that huge facility. We were entrusted with so many lives in our hands. <laughs> remember Elder Xemenes calling into me, you know, 10-4, 10-9, 10-20. I'm supposed to be writing this thing down and logging it into the computer. 
And then before you knew it, I saw Elder Xemenes standing over me. <laughs> Control had fallen asleep. And for however long a period it was, poor Elder Xemenes was out there by himself without any help. Nobody to answer the phone. Thatcher was sleeping. I tell you, it's a terrible thing to fall asleep on the job. And there's a high cost to sleeping on the job. No, I wasn't fired. I was not fired. I was reprimanded. But I was not fired. Amen. Somebody say amen. Were it not for grace. Were it not for grace. I wonder today if uh, some of us have... Uh, our spiritual senses have fallen asleep. And we find ourselves in the middle of a dark spiritual night without any connection to that one person who was supposed to have your back. That one person who would be able to call for help if you needed that. The one person who would be able to call for backup. And if you've ever felt that way before, then Revelation chapter 3 verse 1 to 6 is written for you. Because in it Christ writes to a church that's bustling with potential overcomers. And his word to them is wake up. Somebody touch my wife. Tell her wake up. Amen. I didn't know how I was going to put that in the sermon, but I knew it had to be there. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads as we pray. Father, we just thank you for bringing us here today. We know we have come to a serious point in earth's history. And even as you spoke to the church there in Sardis, we know you're speaking to us today, Lord, to wake up, to understand the times we are living in. And so now, Lord, as we begin this new year, we want to put everything in your hands. We ask that you will guide us and give us direction so that we will know whether we are spiritually asleep or spiritual, spiritually alive. Is my prayer. Let God's people say, Amen. 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 How do you know when you're spiritually asleep? That's what we'll be looking at today. How do you know when you're spiritually asleep? And there are three things that we, I want to say about this. How do you know when you're spiritually asleep? The first thing is, what's your spiritual appeal? Bible says in Revelation chapter 3 verse 1, Jesus reveals himself as the one who has the seven spirits of God and who holds the seven stars. And he says to the church, I know your deeds. Says you have, in the NIV, the King James says name. In the NIV, it says you have a reputation. Somebody say reputation. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. The Bible says the first sign that you are spiritually asleep, look at your spiritual appeal. What is it that draws people to you? Is it, is it your character or just your reputation? 
uh, uh, is your reputation cleaner than your character? See, Jesus told Peter something in Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and 32. Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and 32. Can you turn that with me to that scripture? I've, I've, this scripture is etched in my memory. It says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have returned back, the King James says, when you are what? Converted. Strengthen your brothers. Any of us in church, the worst thing the devil could do to us is to tell the truth about us. Come on now, talk the truth. You know, I remember one time an elder called me up to, we wanted to go pray for somebody who we thought at the time was demon-possessed. And I paused for a second and I said, you know, I've heard in the Bible, I've read in the Bible where demons tell, tell what sins you have done recently. <laughs> I'm not too sure I want to be going around any demons at this point in time. So many times people in church, leaders in church, church members, whoever it may be in church, in the church, claim to have a relationship with God, but the power of their appeal is built on a cover-up rather than on the fact that they are converted. The only way we are able to influence you is by putting on a facade. A face that I am somehow better than you are. I have overcome all these issues. These things that the young people are going through today. I don't know anything about them but what the Bible says. Never been there. Never done that. And we fail to understand that in scripture one of the most sympathetic figures in scripture is David. And the reason people love David so much, the Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. But when we read David and we see the things he has gone through and the mistakes he has made and we see him sinning and confessing, we, we, we want to identify with him. You know, the other day, Kirk Franklin made a confession that he struggled with pornography. And several ministers have been, have been, you know, publicly confessing certain sins that have been holding them down for years. And, 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 and something surprising happens. Because, you know, somewhere in the back of our minds, the devil has told us a lie that, that, that if God knew who we really were, he wouldn't like us. And that would disbar us from doing certain things in church. I know you've heard that before. Get your stuff right. Many people, you talk to them about making a decision for Christ and they'll tell you, I'm not ready yet. I have to straighten certain things out. Where did they get that impression from? That's a lie from the pit of hell. 
The surprising thing is when ministers and church members confess their sins, their faults, uh, 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 something happens because uh, God gives them the power now to become effective witnesses so that people who are struggling with those very same issues know if I have a problem and I need to call someone, I can call Brother John. We think somehow confessing our sins will damage our reputation. And so we cover it up. And here it was that Jesus was dealing with a church that had covered up its, its sins so much that now its reputation was diametrically opposed to its true character. Everybody knew this church to be a church on fire for Jesus. But when Jesus looked at it, he said, this church is dead. See, the funny thing is, if you confess your sins, the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 1, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if your sins are found out... Are you following me? That's a different situation. You didn't confess. You were caught in sin. That disqualifies you because no people realize. So you're the one who was always harping about this issue. Whether it be money or women or, or, or holiness to the Lord. And we find out that you're struggling with the same problem. You can no longer lead. You have lost all, all, all integrity. You, you have no pull anymore. Somebody follow what I'm saying? The Bible says confess your sins. In fact. There is no sin that cannot be forgiven except a sin that is not confessed. And if you look into your life, if I look into my life, the sins that I have not overcome are the sins that I am not willing to confess. See, Jesus prayed for Peter. He said, Peter... The devil wants to use your weaknesses to break you. But I'm praying that, that when you go through and you understand that you are human, that you are a sinner, that we all sin because we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. When you understand that and you stop this, 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 this attitude where you're trying to be better than somebody else. When you understand that, I will give you power to strengthen other people. Because people are looking for folks who are real. You know, the Bible says in James chapter 5, Elijah was a man of like passions as we are. And we wonder what does that mean? It, well, it means... You can get it from the context. The context there says you, we should be confessing our faults to each other. And then when I confess my faults to you, you should be praying for me. That I overcome those faults. And, 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 and you know what? When we pray about these issues, God is going to give us the victory. 
you have a bad temper, that shouldn't stop you from serving God. Unless you're unwilling to confess it. See, Jesus says, look, look, look. How do you know when you're spiritually asleep? It's, it's when you're so interested about your reputation that you're not willing to confess. You're always into a cover-up. I'm fine. I'm a pastor. Certain things that shouldn't be a problem for me, right? You've been to church how many years now? Certain things shouldn't be a problem for you. Okay, we're all fine. Amen. Happy Sabbath. Wonderful day. The Lord is good all the time. We do these cliche things, and, and, and we don't understand that to get real power, you have to be broken. See, to get a real character, you have to be willing to slay your reputation. You have to be willing to say, I don't care what people think. Because if I'm going to hell, I ain't going to hell in secret. And you know you're not going to heaven in secret either. You've got to confess. See, the church has lost its ability to confess. If I tell the church, hey, I'm struggling, then you can't be preaching, brother. You need to go sit down, go pray on that, go deal with that issue until it's resolved. And when you're perfect and you can be an example, then you can come back now and, 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 and share the wisdom that you have gained. But, 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 but God says, look, I want you to confess because as you confess, you'll be converted. Say that with me. As you confess, as you, confess you will be converted. Do, do you understand what God is saying? God is saying, Jesus says in John chapter 8, I believe, you will know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. There are people in bondage today because they, they're, they're not willing to acknowledge the truth about themselves. And when Jesus spoke that, he spoke it to religious people. Which leads me to the understanding that religious people have a problem with sin. Religious people have a problem with sin. So when they come to church, they profess to be wise and become fools. When they come to church, they pray the prayer that says, God, I'm so thankful I'm not like that guy. When they come to church, they, 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 they say, Lord, look how much we have done for you. Jesus says, this is what you should be praying when you get to church. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Mary says, God is so good that he fills the hungry, but he sends away the rich. Jesus said it himself when he said, those who are well don't need a physician. I've come to seek and save the lost. And today God is trying to preach to a church. He's trying to send a message to a church that thinks they are alive. 
See, 1 John, turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. I want you guys to see this. 1 John chapter 1. See, after living a life for so long, something changes. Something changes. Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. We know that part. Uh, verse 10, look at what verse 10 says. If we what? If, if we say we have not sinned, what happens? We make God a liar and his word is what? Is not in us. Look at verse 8. Look at what verse 8 says. If we claim we what? Have no sin, we do what? Deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You have some self-deceived people in church. People who think everything is fine. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> you gonna pray for somebody? I don't need prayer. Pray, pray for the sinner. Pray for the heathen. But God says something happens when we don't confess our sins. When we cover our sins up, we begin to think that we're okay. We really begin to think that we're okay. You know, it's like driving on the road, sleeping again. You know, you get to that point where you're kind of sleepy, but you're not, you haven't really fallen asleep. And, and you just tell yourself, I'm okay. I've done this before. Nothing's going to happen. I don't know who I was driving. I think it was Jamal, right, Jamal? We, we stopped at the stop light, and I was just gone. We stopped at the stoplight and I was gone. And the lights changed and, and then the horn blew behind me and, and, and I woke up. I was okay. I was okay. But I was asleep. And, 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 and God is trying to tell us, do not be deceived if you have a sin problem, which we all have. You need to confess your sins so that you can get cleansing. Because there is something that happens when we <coughs> hold on to unconfessed sins. We start deceiving ourselves. What's your prayer life like today? You know, the Bible says that these people had a reputation that they were alive, but they were dead. The city of Sardis was one of the richest cities in the Greco-Roman world at one point in time. They had a tradition of riches. They were built on a, on a, on a, on a, on a cliff that was a hundred, a, a thousand feet tall, almost perpendicular. <coughs> and history tells us that twice the city fell. Because in their minds, there was no way the enemy could get up there to conquer them. And both times when, when soldiers scaled that thousand foot cliff to get up to the city, they found the sentries sleeping. Comfortable. You know, uh, we've been to San Diego before, my wife and I and... I've brought a couple of the youth. Whenever we go to San Diego, whether it be to SeaWorld or to Bible Bowl or whatever, when we're coming back, 
Nobody's comfortable. I set the air conditioner at the lowest point possible. The music is blaring. And my wife is upset. Turn on the heater. You know what I'm like? Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not trying to fall asleep here. That, I, I'm the driver. I need to be awake. So if you want to sleep, you're going to have to sleep in the cold with Fred Hammond blaring in ears. Because I'm not going to fall asleep. The conditions will not be comfortable for you. Uh, we've got to be careful that we don't become so comfortable with our reputation. That we forget that our reputation isn't what we are. It's what people think we are. Who we are is our character. And that's who God says we are. So that's the first thing. What's the first thing? You know you're spiritually asleep when, you're, when your reputation is cleaner than your character. The second thing is you know you're spiritually asleep <coughs> when your act, spiritual activities and your spiritual audience switches. Bible says, once again in Revelation chapter 3, it says, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of God. That, that verb there in the Greek for wake up, it's Gregoreo. It's the word from which we get the name Gregory, which means somebody who's watchful, awake, alert, not sure dying at the classifies Gregory no no just checking you know I thought about naming the sermon Gregory you know some suspense Grail. Bible says wake up something is happening to what you used to do your activities have diminished it says I, I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of God the King James says perfect in the sight of God no there are two words for perfection in the Greek there's Tilios, which we talked about before. That's the long-term goal. And then this word here is plereo, which is that which completes. And I'm going to illustrate it for you. I was sitting at home and we were watching this program on how they build the, the, the Corvette, which is my dream car. If Imani ever decides to give me a real pastor's gift... A Corvette would be fine. I saw one the other day for, what, $30,000? You know, so it's a poor man's dream car. Somebody say amen. <laughs> Somebody say amen. <laughs> Nobody, no amen. Whoa, 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 whoa. We, I got to preach a little harder then. You know? <laughs> Give to the pastor and you'll be blessed. <laughs> amen. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you guys connecting with me now. Amen, amen. Amen. But, but, but the process that they go through with this thing. See, for ordinary cars, the engine block is built by machine. And you build it by piecing things together. But the Corvette, the new one that they're making, oh, it's, 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 it's built out of a solid block of some really super strong, super light material. And after it's finished building, Takes four hours, thank you. Takes four hours for them to make one engine block. 
in that time, you can make like a thousand Honda Accord building blocks by machine. Then they go through by hand. Did you hear what I, I just said? By hand. By hand. And they inspect and, and, and polish every single thing to, 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 to really detail specifications. And then they electroplate the whole body and paint it in some way with some computer or something like that. And then a guy goes through and by hand polishes the whole thing and feels if there's any slight or minor imperfection of, of what, whatever sort. If there's any problem, that thing is just thrown out. You know, they, they're not going to put the Corvette seal on that. It's not worthy of the Corvette seal. That's plural. You know, God is saying, the works that you do for me, it's, it's kind of half, half done. It's like a casserole that's half baked. Or, 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 or you're doing works for God, but you haven't put that finishing touch on it. You, you know what I'm talking about, the finishing touch. Yeah, you put the structure up, but, but, but you got to smooth that thing out. Because you're sending it out. Amen? You're offering it up, and if you're offering it up to God, it's got to be smooth, got to be polished. It's got to be well put together, but because you're sleeping, that attention to minor details, to the finishing touches, you've lost that attention because, because in order for you to have that attention, you need to be awake and alert. But you're sleeping, so you let certain things slide, and before you know it, you're, 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 you're stuck with a product that nobody wants because it is not finished. It's not perfect. I was seeing the other day that uh, Domino's invested so much money in redefining their product. Any, anybody saw that ad? We heard, we heard your concerns that our uh, pizzas taste like cardboard. What if somebody says your Christianity tastes like cardboard? That's what God is saying. He's saying, look, you, your works ain't perfect. It's not ready. Why are you offering to me something that is not finished? It's like cardboard. It's insipid to my taste. You got to put something in it. Put some effort. Focus on it. Work on it. Perfect it. Uh, make it look good so that when it comes to me, it's like a sweet smelling savor. You know, God loves that. Every offering ought to be offered up with something sweet so that uh, the incense flows up to God and he can be pleased with our work. But if we're doing stuff and we just half doing it, God says, not everything you offer to me, I am going to take because I'm a jealous God and I still got standards. Says your work ain't perfect. See, God says you were doing well, but, but you didn't finish the job. And you know when a job isn't finished. You drove the car for the first time and you hear rattling sounds. Some screw wasn't tightened. 
quality assurance wasn't done on this material. It's not finished. That's the first thing. God says it's not finished. And the second thing is you've lost focus. Somebody say focus. You know, the story is told of a greyhound that went in search of a prized bull deer, a male deer, huge male deer. He was on the scent of this male deer, and then a fox ran across his path, and so he started chasing the fox. And before you know it, a rabbit ran across his path and started chasing the rabbit. And after chasing the rabbit for a while, a mouse ran across his path, and so he caught the mouse and brought it back to his master. Focus. God says you started out pleasing me. That's what the Bible says. Your works are not perfect in the sight of whom? In the sight of God. It means that people may still think you're doing a good job. But, but the God we serve who is a God of details. And who is a God of excellence. He looks at what you do and he says it is not finished. It needs to be done again. And you know people don't like that. That's why Cain killed Abel. Because God looked at, at Cain's sacrifice and says, not up to par, redo. Remember when I went to college for the first time and I had a teacher, Mrs. Castro, and she was our English teacher and she gave us a, a, an assignment to do and you could not have more, one mark on the paper. If you, had, if you had to scratch something out, you had to redo it. And I thought to myself, this is utterly stupid. I went to sixth form, which is like community college. And I'm redoing this thing. And, and you're telling me, you, you're treating me as if I'm a, I'm a kid. You're going to take this from me. You know, you're going to take this from me because I spent my time and I ain't spending no more time doing this. So you take this teacher. And you know, she was a tough teacher. We, we became friends, very good friends. She was at my wedding and everything. I actually became her first student worker. Because after a while, you know, I kind of warmed up to her. But she had a policy. She would let you redo the work as many times as possible. Just to get you up to a certain percent. I know kids still failed. Because people decided, I would rather fail than redo. I would give me the F than for me to correct a mistake. Is that where we are spiritually where we tell God, you're going to take what we're giving to you. We're not going to do it over. We're not going to improve it. We're not going to make any changes. And if you don't like it, fail or send us to hell, Lord. But we're not doing it over. No confession, no correction, no nothing. You will take what we're giving you as a church, as an individual, or we're going to walk. So God was saying to this church and, and, and to these individuals, look, something went wrong. You're, you're not finishing the job. And you're losing your focus. You're worried about what people thinking. That's what happens when you put your reputation over your character. Because your reputation, Martin, is what you think of me. I want you to think of me as a nice person. 
a humble Jamaican patriot fan. You know, I want to be loved by others. Oh, please love me. So you know what? Everything I do, I'm going to do for you. I forget about God. Paul talks about it in Galatians. You know, people start out in the spirit, Galatians chapter 3, and they want to finish in the flesh. You started out your Christian walk pleasing God. You weren't doing it for the pastor or for anybody. You were doing it for God. But, but somewhere along the line, you lost your focus. And instead of focusing on God as your audience of one, you know, trying to please the people, God says you got to get your focus back. If you don't have your focus, then nothing that you do will be acceptable to me because it's not done with any focus. It's not done with any excellence. You're half-stepping it, and I will not accept anything that's half-stepped. Wake up. The last condition. And then we'll close. Bible says, <clears throat> check your spiritual appeal. Is it your character that people are, are in love with or is it just your reputation? And then the Bible says, look at your spiritual activities and your audience. Who are you trying to please? Is it the, is it the masses or is it your master? When last did you do something just because it made sense to God, not because it made sense to anybody else? And then the last thing God says is, look at your spiritual awareness. If God came, would you know that he was here? <clears throat> See, that's what the Bible says here. He says, if you will not repent... If you will not repent, if you refuse to hear, <clears throat> I will come like a thief, verse 3, second part. And you will not know at what time I will come to you. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, I read this week that they pushed the doomsday clock back by one minute. Anybody read that? It was supposed to be five minutes to midnight and they said, oh, Things aren't that bad anymore. So now it's six minutes to midnight because of what's happening with the nuclear proliferation and the, the environment. Obama has come, and that has put a positive spin to things. So suddenly we're not on the brink of the disaster that much anymore. Relax, folks. God ain't coming for at least five, ten years. Obama is president. Somebody say amen. <laughs> amen. <coughs> That's what they said. I'm, I could print the article for you. They basically said because of his policies, we know that the world has a less likely chance to be destroyed by nuclear weapons or that the, the environment will be messed up. So they're giving him credit for his policies. But you know, something tells me that that's why the Bible keeps saying God is going to come like a thief in the night. God is going to sneak up us like Elder Examinees. Coming to find me asleep. I'm in the chair. Around the mic. The pen is in my hand. I have all, from all appearances, I am working. There is no pillow. There is no bed. I am at my station. 
But he could have come and left, and I would not have known. And then I may have been fired, because he would have said, you were sleeping. No, 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 no. I was up all night, man. What you talking about? I have everything up and ready. You didn't call me. I didn't hear anything. I may have gone to the, the restroom for, you know, you start lying and stuff. The Bible says Jesus will come as a thief. How could Jesus come as a thief when so much stuff is happening? Look at the economic world from, 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 from technology rich, the U.S. to uh, even oil rich countries have experienced problems. And yet Jesus will come like a thief in the night. How could Jesus come like a thief in the night when earthquakes are, are happening that have not happened uh, at that strength in over 200 years? Yet Jesus will come like a thief in the night. How could Jesus uh, uh, come like a thief in the night when, when, when people are doing stuff to themselves and to their bodies and to their own children that have never been heard of. Yet, Jesus will come like a thief in the night because we are not spiritually aware. He will visit you and you will not know. He will come and inspect your work and you will not even know that he came. That you see, that we're, we're looking for when Jesus comes, when God comes, it's thunder and lightning and flashing and all of that. But before the thunder and lightning and the flash, he came secretly incognito and checked you out at your church and he found you sleeping. So when he comes with thunder and lightning, there ain't no lie you can tell God because he came and inspected for himself. That's why God says to the church, wake up. Touch your neighbor, say, wake up. See some people, like they're sleeping. Wake up. The temperature nice and cool, huh? You had a long day, huh? All relaxed. Wake up. No, it's not the time to be sleeping. No, it's the time for you to take your salvation seriously. Wake up. No, it's the time for you to be interested in your character, not your reputation. Who cares what people think about you? It doesn't matter what people think about you. It matters what God thinks about you. You know what? I may not be able to be a pastor, but I want to be in heaven. I'm so happy for Jimmy Swaggart. Best thing that could have ever happened to him. You get caught in a sin. You, you get humbled. People know, okay, you have a problem with prostitutes. You should not be anywhere close to prostitutes. That is a safeguard for his ministry right now. Some of us, the best thing that could happen to us is an expose. 
So all those years you were living a lie, God, God, God reveals to you who you are and you are able finally, however, it doesn't matter what it costs you, you are able to be who you really are. And it's only through that you get the power to overcome and to move on and to strengthen and to grow because all these years, the more you kept it a secret, the more it was sapping your spiritual strength. Some of us, the best thing that could happen to us is an expose. God says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You, you know, what God is trying to say is, we all have a problem. But we are looking at each other. You know? What are they going to think about me? You know, I thought about it. I've struggled with so many things. I tell the youth all the time, you know, I was ready to get married from when I was 14. You know, you struggle with sexual issues as a, as a kid. You're not taught correctly. We watched a sex education video last Friday. I don't we asked the youth, did you guys know this? They're like, yeah, we knew this. Oh, we knew this. I'm like, okay, so I'm the only one who didn't know this. <laughs> Apparently, this was for me. Duane just put, it, put his hand up. I didn't know half of the stuff that they were talking about. I'm like, wow. You know, and, and, and I tell them all the time, look, there's certain issues that you get into. I don't care who you are. You could be the pope. You're going to fall. Can I be real? folks but we keep we keep showing people a picture like I'm a pastor but I'm a man and because I'm a pastor the pastor supersedes the man therefore women ain't gonna be a problem for me so I'm saying because I'm a pastor right so I can put myself in any situation because the Lord is with me I have a Holy Ghost shield and every time I do that, you fall. Are you hearing me? Every time you do that, you fall. Guaranteed. Because that's what the Bible says. Be careful when you think you're strong. That's when you're, you're, that's when you're the weakest. That's when you're the most vulnerable. When we put on an appearance as if we are alive and we don't even realize that we are dead. We're just dead men walking. And that's what Christ says. Look, look, you're dead. But there's a little thing left in you that's still alive. I, I don't know the medical personnel here today know that death is a funny thing. It's difficult to define death. To define when somebody is in the process of dying. And when they've actually died and are now dead. But Jesus says even though you're dead there is still a little life left in you and if you knew what was good for you you would take the time to strengthen that little life that is left in you you wouldn't care what people thought about you you wouldn't care that people didn't know that you had a disease that's racking your body called sin you would not care what people thought about you because you know if you don't attend to that you are going to be dead, dead. 
and not just dead dying. So today I've come to encourage you, strengthen the little things that remain. I know some of us, our prayer life is dead. Speak the truth. It's dead. God says, strengthen. There's a little thing left there. Pay attention. Wake up. Understand what's happening. Strengthen that. Some of us, our marriages are dead. I mean, your, your wife has been complaining to you over and over, and you're deaf. You're not hearing. He's been saying the same thing over and over to you, and you're deaf. You're not hearing him. You're not hearing each other. And, and Jesus says, forget about everything else. Strengthen the little thing that re remains. Some of us, our, our relationship with our spouses is dead. Our generosity, dead. Our compassion, dead. God says, you got to do drastic measures now. This is intervention time. This is not a time for florist stuff. This is a time for us to talk face to face. For you to understand that this is life and death now. If you don't do this, there is no hope for you. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, you go to the doctor and they tell you, this is it. You got to do this. If you do not do this, that's it. You don't, you don't. I want you to sign on this paper that I advised you to take this medication and you said you were not going to do this so that when you leave here and you die, something happens. What I told you happens, happens. My medical insurance, nobody can come suing me that I didn't give you the advice. That's where it is right now with many of us. It's a new year and God is saying, we think we're alive, but last year showed that we weren't alive. We have to change right now. Right now. What is it that's dead, dying? Now this week, I did something. My wife always told me, uh, why is it that you always, you know, this is going to be a little bit above PG-13 now, or below, whichever way you guys think it. Why is it that you always, you know, romantically, there is no music involved in a romance? Wives, have you ever said that to your husbands? Because I'm not a romantic person, folks. I'm a Patriots fan. You know, we just, <laughs> we have a way of doing things systematically. So I'm saying if something doesn't work, you just substitute. Moving parts. Saying you just substitute. Says romantically, there ain't no music here. And Dominique didn't help, you know. Come on, folks. Dominique did not help. That, that wedding thing did not help, you know. It's like ever since that, every, every wife in church. <laughs> Their romantic side has been opened up. How come you never sing to me? No more. You don't sing to me. Hey, Dominic would sound good on this song. All of that. Come on now, you know. I'm like, oh, God, you know. <laughs> That's why you don't do that, you know. But I said to myself, you know, if, if I don't listen to this lady, pretty soon the romance is dead. So I took out my new phone and... It has a, you know, I saved some songs on it and I brought it in the bedroom. <laughs> and I just played the songs, you know, Elder. Elder, I played the songs, man. I played the songs. I heard the voice say, it's dead and almost dying. So I played the songs and, you know, I did, you know, normally you have to, 
rose her, you know? <laughs> Come on. I didn't know if I have to rose her. You know, she woke up and to be continued. Amen, somebody. <laughs> but you, you understand what I'm saying? That part of her was awakened. And I got what I needed to get. She got what she needed to get. We were both satisfied customers. Amen? Can I speak the truth? In Guys, why are you covering up your face? Come on now. I'm going to speak the truth in Jesus' name. But the point I'm making is some things are dead, almost dying. And, and, and I mean, you look at my wife and I, I'm huggy-huggy and all of that, but it comes into the, that part. I, I just don't like music in that sense. But she likes it. You know, maybe, maybe it is you haven't taken out your wife in the longest time. And you know, brother, that's dead and dying. And she keep poking you. When we going to, and you brushing her off. Robert, wrong day for you to come back to church, eh? <laughs> you keep brushing her off. Of course, you know, it goes the other way. But I'll just leave that section for another time. Some things are dead and dying. And you have to do something. No. Not tomorrow. No. You have to make the decision. No. So, I'm going to open the floor. Let's start with practical stuff. Your finances, dead and dying. I don't want you to tell me what's happening. I just want you to confess. Your finances, dead and dying. You have caller ID on your all your phones, if you could have caller ID on your email, you would have it too. Finance is dead and dying. Dead and dying. And you want to, there's something you have to do today. How about your relationship with your siblings? Some sibling, you haven't spoken to them for years. Or a family member. They probably did you something wrong. You probably don't even remember what it is. Now when you talk about the story, it don't make any sense to anybody. It's so long ago. But the relationship has been scarred. Dead and dying. Family relationships, dead and dying. How about your relationship uh, with, you, with a kid? Maybe your kid? Stepchild? How about a relationship with school? Dead and dying. You ain't finished, and you don't plan to finish, <laughs> to tell you the truth. I mean, I know some of you guys write math off. Like, I'm, I'm not doing no more math, ever. ever. No amen, Terry. Come on. <laughs> dead and dying. School, some area in your school life, dead and dying. Dead and dying. All right? What about relationship with a spouse? Now, for this one, I don't want you to raise hand because if you raise your hand and the other person don't raise their hand, then you will be dead and dying. <laughs> okay, so just, mm, you know, I just want you to acknowledge it mentally, that one. What about your relationship with the Lord, dead and dying? You really don't like what happened in Haiti, and you're, you're upset. I mean, if I wasn't in church, I would probably say another word to show a, a more, not a curse word, but more graphic. 
You're upset. In fact, if you could, if you could holler at the Lord, you would do that. Ask him, what are you doing? Why do you keep killing off black people? Aren't there other races you can kill? No, I'm, have you never thought that before? I'm at, whoa. Am I the only person to think that? You guys need to be real, you know? There's nobody else getting 100,000 people just dead just like that. Do you know what I'm saying? No, you don't have no other race you could do that with? Give us a break. You know, what's up with that? Your relationship with God is at that point. You're upset with him. You haven't told nobody, but you're upset. You are so upset with God right now. And you're like, if you don't, if something don't change, I don't know how this thing is going to work with me and you. You know, because the more I pray, the worse it gets. But God says, it's good that you're still upset because you still care. See, <laughs> once you don't, it don't bother you anymore, once it doesn't bother you, it means it's dead. It's of no interest to you whatsoever. That upset, keep it. God can work with that. Dead and dying. <sighs> the last thing for me is, what, what about your relationship with yourself? Do you know who you are anymore? Have you told so much lies about yourself? You don't even know who you are. Man, I'm such a, I'm such a calm, happy-go-lucky person. No, I'm not. I like to be in control. I like to know what's happening. You know, I like to be, you know, you portray yourself to be such a different person from who you really are. That no, God, God doesn't even know how to work with you because you're not you. You just changed who you were. So that everybody else could love you. You've had that problem before. You've changed something about yourself. So people could love you. Come on, raise your hands. Raise your hands. Speak the truth. I remember, um, I'm not very athletic. I think I can be. <laughs> I could be if I chose to be. Yeah, I remember the other night I was wrestling with Dominic, you know. And I said to myself, that's why you, you, you whoop kids when they're younger. Because <laughs> when they get older, you can't do it anymore. <laughs> you can't do it anymore. You know, I wish, sometimes I wish I could be more athletic for my wife. You know, just show the muscles and stuff. Anybody ever wished that before? No? I'm the only one? Amen. I'm the only one. Right, more athletic, you know, bulkier. So this year I'm gonna get more bulkier, chest wise <laughs> and stuff. You you wish that too, Martin? Okay, good. Thank you very much, sir. So for this year I'm going to be really buff, guys. Seriously. Dana, I challenge you. I'm serious. I'm gonna be buff and really strong. Really, really strong because that's what I want to be. You know, I've always portrayed myself as this soft person. I'm not soft. I'm hard as a rock. <laughs> I'm solid. I'm a tough person. I'm a soldier. I'm a fighter. I'm a Brian. I'm strong. And that's what I'm going to be. 
Now it's going to cause some problems. <laughs> Amen? If you be yourself, it's going to cause some, some issues. Have you ever felt that to be true before? If you are yourself, it will create problems. But you know what? If you aren't yourself, we don't have certain solutions that the body is looking for. God says, wake up. Got to be real. You got to be real. When you're real with me, I can work with that. I can work with a sinner, but I cannot work with a self-righteous person. It's, it, we, we got it wrong. Why can't we just be sinners? Why do we have to be self-righteous? Because we think God's looking for self-righteous people. He don't need you if you're self-righteous. I've got problems, serious problems. Pray for me. We'll talk off the air. And I'll share with you because we're struggling. And I want you to understand that there is real help in Jesus. There is real help in Jesus. I want my young people to understand that. There is real help in Jesus. Sin isn't the problem anymore. It's your self-righteousness. It's the fact that you, te you tell yourself, I ain't got a problem. What? Who, me? Huh, I'm perfect. My mommy loves me. My daddy loves me. Everybody loves me. I'm a teacher's pet and all of that, you know. But God is saying, be real. And if you stretch forth your hand and if you confess your sins, I'll forgive. 